The Theonauts, episode 97. The one where, like that pizza for lunch, it is finished. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theonautical, not nautical heads, whatever you you are. That was weak, David. <laughs> we probably need to redo that. No, I'm joking. Yeah. You're fine. You're <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? I'm David Getty. My name is Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Hey, guys. How you doing, David? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah, I just got back from Arkansas last week. Did you look from the Arkansas? I did. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It was actually a really good trip. We went to Hot Springs. Right. And like you saw alligators. Yep. We saw some some alligators and uh, some other uh, mountain lions, some animals like that. At the petting zoo. At the petting zoo? Did you pet one? Did you pet an alligator? I actually carried an alligator, yes. Whoa. Yeah. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. It made you want to buy one, didn't it? Uh, I'd take him home with me. <laughs> I figured he would. Here, Fido. Be better than the dog, yeah. <laughs> it comes running up. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Did you get an old-timey picture? No, I didn't do that. I always loved going and getting the old-timey pictures whenever yeah. I go to, you know. I've something. got some of those dating back from when the kids were little. Yeah. You know, we. in fact, we've got one that we did in Hot Springs, you know, years ago. Sure. 20 years ago. Uh, actually, it was 22 years ago, because my son was just newborn. Oh, wow. Yeah, like less than a year old. Wow. <clears throat> and uh, so anyway, we decided to do the whole Civil War thing. I'm like sure. in, the, in a Confederate uh, <laughs> army outfit. Of course and, you're in a Confederate. Oh, yeah. In Texas, right? <laughs> Gotta be. I would have been a Union soldier, but whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. We had a good time. Awesome. Yeah, I've been doing nothing. A whole bunch of nothing. Yeah, you're I, out of school. I caught up on Batman. I'm like three weeks until the baby comes, yeah, so I'm just This like is the first chilling. time you've you've read Frank, Frank Miller's... Frank Miller's version of uh, The Return of the Dark Knight. Yeah. Oh my goodness, really good. Mm-hmm. So now I'm actually watching the movie whenever I have a chance, like yeah. little snippets of it. Which is, and this is just me, but I think that that is one of the best Batman movies like like live action included like it's it's better than most of the batman movies it does the comic great justice yes like it's almost a shot for shot mm-hmm. of the comic mm-hmm. they use everything in it yeah and so it's it's really good yeah i like it too yeah so that's pretty, pretty awesome cool. anyways that's uh that's my life and that's your life yeah. you want to you want to get into jesus's life we do all right So, Jesus had some stuff to say from the cross. Yes, he did. <laughs> he said some things, some words. So, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to look at what the scriptures have recorded 
Jesus actually saying from the cross. Because uh, it's a cool little study. For one, there's seven of them. Right. Which there's some significance to that number. Yeah, it's the number of completion. Yes. It's like the perfect... Um, it's like the perfect number. Right. And it's weird that when you do, we did the, uh, an episode on numbers. On, yeah. And, um, the study of, of, of numbers in scripture. And, um, to recap some of that seven is used a lot whenever things are completed, whenever things are perfected, uh, th- that whole thing. Right. And so it's, it only stands to reason that the scriptures in conjunction with one another, add up to seven things being said on the cross. Sure. Which is, once again, more divine inspiration type of stuff because uh, Matthew doesn't record all seven. Right. Mark doesn't record all seven. Luke doesn't record all seven. John doesn't record all seven. But when you look at the whole of them all, you get seven. Right. Which is a complete thing. And, uh, and, you know, we we talked about how three is God's number. Yeah. The, the, The Holy Trinity, the Godhead being three and one, sure, that whole thing. And so when you see three in the scriptures, it's a reference to God. God. Jesus is referred to in three parts all the time, prophet, yeah. priest, and king, the gold, frankincense, myrrh. I mean, there's always these three things. Sure. And but and then the number four is the number of the earth. So everything about the earth is is done in these fours, north, south, east, and west. Right. You four know, corners. The, yeah, the four corners of the earth um, and it, things of that nature. So... When you take uh, God, bring him down to the earth, four and three, seven, it completes the process. Right. So anyway, it's it's cool the way all this stuff kind of fits together. Works together. Because God's God's awesome and he there's details behind the details. Yeah. So uh yeah, besides that, seven being the number of completion, which are the, the sayings that Jesus said on the cross. Uh, there's also a sense of urgency in these words because they're the last words that Jesus says mm-hmm. in his life, right? Now we know he rose again, and then he right. he gave us even more important things with a great commission and all that. But these are imagine if you're a man condemned to die and you're about to die, what do you, what do you say? Yeah. And so these are his dying words. Well, let's add a little weight even to that. Sure. How do you die on the cross? What what what? How does the body die? On the cross, asphyxiation. Asphyxiation is right. you suffocate to death right. because you become so weak, you can't lift your body enough to right. allow your lungs right. to expand enough to get air, and and fluid builds up. There's all this stuff that happens, and so everything, every breath is laborious. Right. So there's work that goes into just taking a breath. Imagine the amount of work it takes to not only breathe, but to speak something. Right. So it's a big deal. Yes. So if, if Jesus is bothering <laughs> putting forth, and now he is weakened beyond uh, reason. I right. mean, uh, Pilate almost killed him through the scourging. Yeah. In order to try and, and satiate the, the Jews that right, were the crowd. demanding him. Uh, and it didn't work. Well, that meant Jesus was. He had lost a lot of blood by the time he even got to the cross. He couldn't even carry his cross the whole way. I mean, he did. He died an un. He had an unusually short crucifixion, right? Because his body had just been already spent. So now he's taking what little energy he has, and he's utilizing it to say these seven things. Sure. So, of the things that Jesus taught us, 
these seven things actually should bear some weight uh, as much as, or probably a little more so than, than most of what he was teaching because right. he worked really hard to get this out yep. and to say these things. So uh, I've put together a list of, of these seven things that Jesus said. Now, bear in mind, this might not necessarily be chronological. Okay. And the reason why is because, like we said, not every... Uh, some of these things are in one of the gospel writings, but not in the other. So we don't know chronologically actually how they they were said. Yes. So we're kind of we're trying to figure it out based on what was happening whenever he said these things. I've put it in an, in what appears to be the most logical progression progression of, of the chronolo- sure. chronology of the cross, but it's not for sure. Right. Um, there are some things like. Uh, Two of the of the gospel writings actually says, and then he died. Like after he said this, and then he died. Well, I don't believe that they're contradicting one another. Um, yeah, but uh, it, one of them actually says, and then when he had cried with a loud voice, he said, "Okay, well, maybe the crying out with a loud voice was saying something else." So I mean, there's just sure. all these things that you can play into, it. right? So don't don't get all bent out of shape if if we do something here out of order and you think, well, that's not the way it happened. <laughs> that's completely um, up for debate. I mean, whatever. Right. It doesn't really matter. What right. matters is the words he says. The words that he says. Right. So let's start with. Um, hold on a second. Let me turn off my volumes of things so that that uh, <laughs> so you don't hear your Cylons in the background. <laughs> By, By your command. command. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, so let's go over uh, the first thing. Uh, what well, we believe the first thing that Jesus said. Sure. On the cross, and I also think that this kind of goes from order of weighty, less weighty to weighty, because right. obviously by the time he's dying, it's getting harder. Yeah. So, uh, but the first thing is recorded in Luke uh, twenty-three. Okay. So let me pull that up real quick. Luke 23, and, and look at verse 34. And I'm reading it out of the New Century Version. Okay. The nick of the NCV. The nick of. The, the negative. <laughs> okay, so that's Luke 23 and 34. 34. It says, Jesus said, <clears throat> Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers threw lots to decide who would get his clothes, and the people stood there watching. Okay, so um, the very first thing this is probably right after the the crucifixion fiction begins, right? And he, they just took his clothes off. So this kind of gives us. That's why we are pretty sure that this is the first thing that he said on the cross. Is they they had just taken his clothes and were splitting them up, and probably this is like the moment whenever the cross hit the bottom of the hole, you know, type of thing. Right. And he, he says his father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. So, okay. So, so what is this? What, what's the value in this statement? Here's the question. Who's the them? First off, he's asking God to forgive some people, but Mm -hmm. who are the people that he's asking God to for, you know, uh, asking God to forgive? I think that could go a couple of different ways. Okay. What do you think? Um, well, I asked you. <laughs> so, first off, it, it could be the soldiers who are splitting up his clothes. True. It could be the crowd that's standing around mocking mm-hmm. or scoffing at him. Um, and I think it it probably was them. 
but also it could have been his apostles who had deserted him. Oh, his wow. His disciples who had deserted yeah. him. Father I had not, I had not ever, ever quite looked at that angle. Right. That's good. It could have been Caiaphas and Pilate, mm-hmm. um, which Caiaphas, Caiaphas, Caiaphas thought he knew what he was doing. Right. Pilate really had no clue what he was doing. Um, but they were all, there was all, there was a deeper reason why Jesus was dying. Could have been the Sanhedrin. Yeah. It could have been you and me. True. That could be all of the above. I, I think it is. It could all be, of the it could be an, 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 uh, an explanatory mission statement for the cross. <laughs> yes. And that's what I actually <laughs> think it is. That's cool. I think Jesus is realizing what he's there for is reminding himself. Mm, that's good. What he's there for. So, and, and here's another thing before everyone gets twisted up. Um, the Bible is good about folding things in on top of itself, too. Yeah. There could be both. I mean, there could be, this could be an all-encompassing mission statement. At the same time, it could be very specific. Right. And God's cool like that. Like, <laughs> like all this stuff fits together really well like sure. that. So um, one of the things that it kind of teaches to me is, A, the importance of prayer. Mm. So you're going into the pinnacle of your life. This is what you came to do to earth for. And the first thing he says on the cross is not addressed to any single person on the earth. Right. It's addressed to his father. So it's important that God is for, first and foremost in our thoughts. He's whenever we have a trial, whenever we have any type of thing, what do we do? Yeah. We go to him first. Right. Before we seek anybody's counsel, before we start apologizing to anybody else. It's he's the focus. Yep. And so I think that has uh, that ha- that says a lot about what's happening here. Is his first act is is prayer. Secondly, it's also an act of mercy. Hmm. What is our natural reaction if someone beats you nearly to death and then starts to hang you on a cross to fight back? Yeah. Or at least if you're going to pray, strike these guys down. Right. You know. I mean, Father, destroy them for they put me on a cross. <laughs> right. Instead, he says, "Father, forgive them." Wow. Yes, and it and this also sets a precedence for those who would come after. What did Stephen say as they were throwing stones at him? Hmm. He prayed to Jesus and said, "Lord, don't hold this to their right. charge." Exactly. So it's like, you know, you can say, "Oh, Stephen, you stole that from Jesus." <laughs> And he did, <laughs> to an extent. He absolutely did, and that's what we should be doing. But that's a good thing. Exactly. That's the type of thing you need to be, uh, you know, not original in. Right. He I mean- set that precedence <laughs> for us to follow. So anytime any Christian is uh, persecuted, the first thing they need to do is go right to where Jesus was persecuted and see how he reacted yes. and react the same way, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes. They have no clue. And and that's so hard for people to grasp. Okay, so let's say, okay, so he's going to God in prayer, and he's asking this thing. Now, I'm going to assume for a, for a minute, because I think that on the surface, when people heard it, I think what they heard was, forgive the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. Right. That's what I believe everyone would have thought he was talking about regardless of how many layers of meaning there are in his statement, sure. I think that's on the surface, that's probably what they heard. Because they're the ones who basically pushed this 
through. Yeah. Uh, Pilate was good with letting them go. Yeah, and they were standing there at the at the crucifixion. Yes. A lot of them. Yes, so. wagging their heads and mocking exactly. him and all this sort of stuff. Okay, so um, here's the thing that I think is cool. If that's the case, if this is a prayer uh, geared toward the Jewish leaders, I want to go to Acts 3 for a minute. Okay. Now, this is... Uh, after the day of Pentecost and the whole conversion thing happens and the church is continuing to grow. Right. And the first thing we have is, is uh, Peter and John, they're, they're like hitting the streets, man. And they're preaching Jesus. Sure. Okay. Now I want to listen to part of Peter's message to, um, to the people in the streets in Acts three, verse 17. He says, he says, he says, brothers, there's, I know you did those things to Jesus because neither you or your leaders understood what they were doing. Right. God said through the prophets that his Christ would suffer and die, and now God has made these things come true in this way. So you must change your hearts and lives, come back to God, and he will forgive your sins. Then the Lord will send the time of rest. Okay, now jump down to chapter 4. Peter and John are doing this so much that soldiers show up and uh, snag them. Okay, but there's a parenthetical or a, a thing that, that, that the writer Luke here tells us in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, But many of those who heard Peter and John preach believed the things they said, and they were about 5,000 5, in the group of believers. Wow. So Jesus' prayer is answered. Right here. And right four. here. Yep. 5,000 people found forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they didn't know what they were doing. Because of their ignorance. Exactly what, what uh, Peter told them. Yeah. You did these things, but you did it in ignorance. Right. So he is echoing exactly the same thing Jesus was praying for on the cross. And what happens? 5,000 people are like changed by it mm. and, and, and forgiven of their sins. That's big. And so, uh, so this gives us another message. God's faithful. Right, absolutely. Whenever we, when we're offering prayers that glorify Him, that we're asking for in His, for His glory, then He, he answers those he's, prayers. He's faithful. That's right. That's good. All right, so let's move wow. on to the second one. Okay, I want to also stick with uh, Luke twenty-three. Uh, jump down to verse forty. Um, Three. Yeah, let's jump up a little bit higher than that. Okay. Um, verse. 39. One of the criminals on a cross began to shout insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. But the other criminal stopped him and said, you should fear God. You are getting the same punishment he is. We are punished justly, getting what we deserve for what we did. Man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, so this is statement number two upon the cross. Right. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> okay, so what does what what is the value in this message? What do, what do we get from from uh, what's going on here? It's something that I get is that it's never too late. Okay, uh, which is I think is an important understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this man was a thief. He was. He obviously understood that he was getting the punishment he deserved. Right. 
which is crucifixion, um, which is a harsh punishment, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, even for you know being a thief, right? <laughs> but he saw he saw his sin, mm-hmm. and he saw Jesus as Messiah. Yes, he saw him as an innocent man, and so at the last moment of his life, he's forgiven of his sin. Mm-hmm. And for me, this gives hope for so many that, that I know that, that are, you know, may never turn to Christ. Right. But there's always a chance. And, and there's, there's another cool thing here that this is a great example of salvation coming by no strength of our own. Yeah. So there's nothing at this point, no matter how the heart is changed in this man, there's nothing he can do. Right. He can't be Jesus' hands and feet. He can't, he can't heal anybody. He can't help anybody. Yeah. His, his hands are nailed to a cross. He can't, he can't do anything. His life is done. Right. So the fact that Jesus gives him this gift is proof in the pudding that God gifts us with mercy and grace Freely. regardless right. of our ability to earn it right. in any way. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that will argue, uh, yeah, this was prior to New Testament covenant. He's under the Old Testament covenant, and Jesus did a special thing here. But, okay, all that argument aside, the point is that God is the same yesterday, today, and right. forever. And he gives us an example of his saving grace in that instant. And I don't believe his heart has changed on how he deals with people, right? right? This is an example of how um, how this works. And for me, <clears throat> to say that this is he wasn't under the New Testament covenant yet, I would go, no, he's actually under the oldest covenant, which, again, is a one-sided covenant. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Going all the way back. This was there. It was just a mystery. Exactly. It was, it, and this, and Paul goes into all this. Yeah. Was, this was a mystery, but now it's being revealed to you. Exactly. It was there before. Like Romans talks about Abraham being saved by grace. grace. Mm-hmm. What does Genesis six say? Noah found grace That's in the right. eyes of the Lord. The only reason Noah was chosen to build an ark to begin with was because of grace. Right. And and he was perfect in his generations, exactly. albeit is that talking about his lineage or is that talking about his <laughs> his behavior? I tend to think it's his lineage that yeah, he's talking about. But uh but anyway, there's all this all this other stuff um and so okay, well the, so I think that the biggest thing we can get from this is that God is a God of mercy and grace and th- this guy that was hanging there on the cross exemplified something. And that is a change of heart. Yeah. Before he even said, have mercy on me, what did he say? He defended Christ. He defended him against the ones that were railing on him. Right. He was like, look, what's your, what's your problem, dude? You and I deserve this. This guy doesn't. Why are you being a jerk? Right, right. And, and so this guy had a change of heart while he was hanging there on the cross. Yeah. And, and, that's, and he doesn't say... You know, um, necessarily you know, give me eternal life, life, blah, blah. I mean, he's not, he's not like, he's, he, what he's saying is, have mercy on me. Right. When you come in your kingdom. And 
which that's what Jesus wants from all of us, yeah. is to be beggars at, at the foot of God. He's a picture of all of us. This is the picture. And there's a reason that God placed a thief on Jesus' left and a thief on Jesus' right. It was a picture. Mm-hmm. And he painted this picture so beautiful. We can be the thief on the left or we can be the thief on the right. <laughs> That's good. The point. reality is, is we are the thief. Mm-hmm. So are we going to be the thief on the left or the thief on yes, the right? Yes, you're guilty. You belong on the cross just like those guys do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be the one who asks for mercy and realizes your sin? Are you going to be the one that, that curses God and dies? Right. Wow. That's good. Okay, I want to talk about one other quick thing here. Okay. And that is a, a confusing thing for me personally. And that's Jesus' statement. What he actually says is, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, you're getting into some deep theology okay, here. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have an answer for this, so okay. don't even look at me for it. So now, um, I'm in a little different boat than a lot of people on okay. this. Uh, I'm, I'll be in the minority. So I'll say that right off the bat. Yeah, Most people be. are going to disagree with me. David, you're always in the minority. <laughs> what does it matter? Go ahead. So that's fine. You, you can disagree with me. That's fine. I'm not saying I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I want to make my point, though. Okay, so uh, most people in, in uh, modern Christianity believe that Upon death, you're immediately in the arms of Jesus, right? Right. And to be absent with the body is to be it, present with the Lord. Right. Okay. You got one verse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so because that's because that's a verse from a guy's perspective. Sure. Okay. okay. Like let's say it's Sunday. It's Sunday night, and I go, man, I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to have to go to work in the morning. Well, if I go to sleep, it doesn't mean I'm waking up the next morning. But from from my perspective, I am because I'm sleeping. Right, so if I so if I I guess I don't get that. What, okay, can you say that again? Okay, I don't. if I say it's Sunday night, yeah. Okay, and I say, man, I don't want to go to bed because I don't want to go to work in the morning. What am I saying? I'm saying oh. from my perspective, the minute I close my eyes, I'm going to lose a bunch of time, right? And I'm going to wake up in in, in the morning. To go to work. However, if I stay up late, it's going to seem like I'm going to be. Okay, I get I'm gonna. I'm going I to be that. awake and and more time. Right. Okay. So, what he, what Paul may be saying there is the minute I go to sleep, I'm gonna wake up with the Lord. I mean, because from my perspective, that's what's gonna happen. So soul sleep. So yeah, this goes into this whole soul sleep thing, and people are gonna call this heresy and blah blah blah. <laughs> but that's fine. There's nothing that's gonna hinder uh, your salvation theology in all this. So I still believe that we all will stand before God on a judgment day. The great white throne judgment. At the day of the resurrection, right? Yeah. There's a day of the resurrection. What do you do with all those verses about that? There's all these verses about the day of the resurrection and the great trumpet sounding and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The dead will be judged, dead small and, and great. Arise, and the dead in Christ will arise. And then we'll all go to, to meet Jesus. And Okay, so with all that said, Jesus tells the thief on the cross... I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is, you might could say, well, that's a proof text that you're totally out of your mind because the thief was with Jesus that day yeah. in paradise. Uh, but I want to jump over right quick to John 20. This is after Jesus is resurrected. Uh-huh. So Jesus died. He'd been in the grave for three days. 
And when he comes out, first person he meets is Mary. And uh, she grabs a hold of him. And he says, don't touch me yet. Yes, in verse 17 of John 20, Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me. And again, I'm in the New Century Version. Don't hold on to me because I have not yet gone up to To the the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going back to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Okay, so the message he tells them is, tells her is, I have not yet gone to the Father. Go tell everybody that I'm going. I just have not gone yet. Okay? So Jesus coming out of the grave three days was not in paradise, because that's where God is, right? So um, the question is, where was he? Well, there's several scriptures uh, that, that, that allude to other things in First uh, Peter 3. And 18, it says, um, Christ himself suffered for sins once. He was not guilty, but he suffered for those who are guilty to bring to God. His body was killed, but he was made alive in the Spirit. Um, And in the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who refused to obey God long ago in the time of Noah. So you're talking about Abraham's bosom here? Not yet. Okay. okay, so God was waiting patiently for them while Noah was building the boat, and only a few were saved. Okay, so there's this thing that Peter says about how he preaches to spirits in prison. Now, this could be a couple of different things. This could either be, okay, if you go back and read the book of Enoch, I think Peter's very familiar with the book of Enoch because he makes more than one reference right. to the events of it. In the book of Enoch, the watchers who came, the the fallen angels who came, were chained and bound at the end of the book of Enoch right. to be reserved until the day, day of, of judgment. judgment. Okay. So that's what Peter's referring to here, that those bound, those chained angels, he went and made witness to them. Now, this could be a physical uh, visitation, but it could also just simply be his death on the cross sent that message and, te- and taught them. I mean, there could be a lot of allegory going Wait, on. Wait, can those angels be saved? I don't. Th- I don't necessarily think it's a saving uh, preaching. Then why did it he is? It them? is a pro- proclamation of victory, in, in my opinion. That's that's. What so I he's think. gloating over the angels, more or less. It's 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 glorifying God over the angels. God has been victorious over right. death and over uh, your betrayal and Satan's betrayal and right. all this sort of stuff. So it's it's huh. it's about justice. It's not about. It's not about con- trying to convert these guys. Okay. And uh, now, this could be completely metaphysical talk by Peter too. I mean, it could be that he's referring to the witness spoke so loud at the cross that they heard it in the prisons that of Hades or right. uh, not Hades, um, um, the abyss, the abuso, right. where they were uh, being chained. And it could be all he's saying. Huh. Uh, but some people think that. Jesus physically took a trip to, while he was in the grave, to Abraham's bosom. To, uh, we call it Abraham's bosom, I guess. I, I well, if you if you if you follow that one allegorical type of story, the the Lazarus and the rich man story, yeah. which I don't even want to get into the whole Lazarus rich man story because there's a lot of debate about what that really is, right. whether or not Jesus is just simply using the Jews' vernacular and the Greeks' vernacular to make a point right. and not necessarily giving you true this events. Uh, that's debatable, one way or the other. Um, but the uh, the point 
that I'm just simply making is there's no allusion here to him being glorified with the Father in paradise during this time frame. Okay, in, in Acts 2, uh, during the initial pe- preaching by Peter, uh, Peter starts quoting Psalms. He starts quoting uh, King David, and uh, he makes this statement here. He's quoting uh, Psalms 16 in Acts 2, verse 27. He's talking about Jesus here, and he says, uh, in verse 26, he says, So I am glad and I rejoice. Even my body has hope because you will not leave me in the grave. You will not let your Holy One rot. See corruption. Okay, so um, what the psalmist is saying and what uh, Peter is saying here is that he was in the grave for three days. Hades is the actual Greek word here, mm-hmm. which Hades can mean a couple of different things in Greek. It can mean simply the grave, or it could mean the domain of the dead, the right. like the dwell, the, the dwelling conscious place the dwelling place of the dead. Right. Um, so either way, not really sure. Um, well, and this is where we get the, the Apostles' Creed, the original Apostles' Creed, which says he descended into hell on the third day rose again. Right. So I guess uh, saying all that, there's just confusion. There is a lot of confusion. About what Jesus meant when he said, today I will be, you will be with me in paradise, whenever he turned around and told Mary the minute he woke up, I haven't gone to the Father yet. What are you doing? Don't, don't hold on to me. Okay. Here's one thing I want to throw out. And this is, like I said, I'm completely in the minority. I understand that. Um, but if we go back to Jesus' um, declaration there on the cross, if I can get back to it, in Luke 23, um, there's something that no translation that I have does, but something that's worth noting. Hmm. The original language, as we have it revealed, uh, is in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that. None of these languages use punctuation. None of them. Right. Okay, they're they're all, especially when in the original manuscripts were written in a style of Greek that actually had no spaces or anything. Right. So the letters are just all crammed together. And the punctuation is completely up to the translator. Yeah. Translator has to decide where the the thought breaks. Right. Okay, there's a comma in every translation that I could find here in the sentence. So I'm going to start with the King James, since that's the one that uh, many people are familiar with going for, for the longest time. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Uh, the ESV says, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Truly, comma, I say to you, comma, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. The Holman says, I assure you, colon, Today you will be with me in paradise. Okay. <laughs> the uh, NLT, I assure you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, we read the NCV already. Um, and the Tyndale, the oldest English translation, that uh, printed translation. Um, if I can find it, where was it? He says, and Jesus said unto him, colon, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, with no punctuation. Okay, so um, what if our translators are putting the comma in the wrong place? Instead, it should be, you're saying it might be... Truly I say to you today, comma, comma, you will will be be with me in paradise. It changes the entire meaning. Right. 
because what he's because then it becomes he's not giving you a time frame in which he's going to be with you be with him in paradise. Right. He is just stating the fact you will be, and I'm telling you that today as we're hanging here on the cross, that's what's going to happen. That's unique. I haven't heard that before. So I'm not saying that that's what it is. I'm saying it could be. Right. And so anyway, spent way too much time on that one. Okay. <laughs> it's really interesting though to study that. We really need to do a theonauts on what happens when you die. <laughs> well four views of what happens when we've talked the minute about, the Christian dies. Yeah, the minute the Christian dies. Okay. All right, getting back to the seven words. Okay, number three is in John nineteen. I love this one. Now this is uh John nineteen verse twenty six. To 27, <clears throat> and Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and he said to his mother, Mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Okay, so what is the significance in what Jesus is, is saying here? He's making last arrangements to take care of his... <laughs> right. It's kind of um, his... his. He has a little time before he dies, and right. he's setting his affairs in order, yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so uh, I think there's been a misunderstanding about some of this. I've, I've heard a lot of people use the first part, the first verse, without reading the second verse, where he just simply says, uh, he's all... Uh, the disciple he loved standing by and said to his mother, behold your son. Like, look what they've done to me. That's not what he's saying at, at all. Um, what he's saying is he's telling her to look down at, at the disciple that he's talking about, whether that's the, the John, which is the assumed writer of the book, or as we've talked about on the Theonauts before, this could be Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> but whoever it is. Uh, well, I think it's John. We can't get too many weird theories going in one episode. Right. I think it's John simply because we have recorded that the two Marys, John, uh, actually the three Marys and John were the only disciples there um, at Jesus' crucifixion. So Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, Mary, Mary's sister. Well, if, if I recall, I think this is the only one that mentions a, a guy standing there. Yeah. It, it only refers to him as the one Jesus loved. It doesn't refer to him by name. So I don't know, For 2,000 years, he said it's John. I'm going to go with John. <laughs> <laughs> if it's good enough for Peter, it's, it's good been, enough for it's me. It's been close to 2,000 years, but not quite. Oh, my gosh. 1,500, maybe. Yeah, 1,500. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, who doesn't matter? Okay, so what's the point that he's trying to make here? He's, he's basically... Saying, look at this at at the guy standing next to you. I want him to take care of you. Yep. You treat him like your son, and he tells the disciple, treat her like your own mother. And it says he took her into his home after that. Right. And so um, I think that this speaks to benevolence again, and um, and and always being self-sacrificing right. and serving others and making sure people are taken care of, which is the very nature of Jesus. And so it's, it speaks volumes that he would spend some of his last waking uh, moments on the earth making taking sure that, that she was taken care of and, uh, and all, well, also that... Uh, that she was venerated. <laughs> right. <laughs> get I don't, I don't know where you're going with that, Jeremiah. <laughs> so I thought I was going to be the one getting in trouble on this episode. <laughs> But I ain't going there. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. 
calm it down. Oh, man. What are you trying to say? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Number four. Now, this one uh, could be out of order. Um, we're not sure. But I'll jump back to Matthew. Okay. Or I guess this is the first time we've been in Matthew. Matthew, the 27th chapter, verse 26. Oh, no, that's not the right verse. Hang on. 46. All right. Matthew 27, 46. <clears throat> and I'm in the ESV now because I was flipping around a lot. It's and, also in Mark 15, 34, right? Uh, this is the, yes. This is the uh, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. Ally, ally, Lama Sebastiani. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many. Lama, Lama. Lama Sebastiani. Yeah. I actually got very obsessed about this at one point and Did actually you? looked looked up uh, a, a Hebrew and... Uh, Eli, Eli. Because it's Lama Aramaic. Sebastiani. What is the Aramaic pronunciation of it? Because I would want to always say Eli. Yeah. Eli, Eli. Um, and the last one I heard was Eli, Eli. Uh, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. He says we don't speak Aramaic. So he's it's, it's the ninth hour. Mm-hmm. So that gives us he's been on the cross for a while here, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," which is, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Whew. Okay, so this one is also a very interesting one to talk about. It's important. So what is Jesus? He's obviously talking to God, My God, why have you forsaken me? What's the value? In what he's saying here, what is this telling us about Jesus and his situation and whatnot? Well, do you want to talk about things that people see in it, or do you want to talk about what anything. I, I think? Yeah, okay. anything. So, uh, people have said, okay, so he's this is where he gets upset at God. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know where this is the human side coming the out, human side coming out, all yeah. that stuff. Um, you know, he's, he's hurting on the cross and mm-hmm. he feels like he's the only one up there and all this, but I think it goes way deeper than that. I think that he has had a spiritual, um, full on connection with God, the father, in fact, um, and this has to do with the incarnation itself, but I believe the Bible says that God stri- stripped himself of his priestly garments and came mm-hmm. down as a man. Mm-hmm. What I see that meaning is, is he took away his he he is God, but he took away his godhood, meaning that he stripped himself of all the powers that gave him the <clears throat> godhood, right? And I believe that everything he did was through the act of the Holy Spirit, God communing through him. God mm-hmm. the Father communing through the Holy Spirit to God the Son to cause the miracles, to do all that stuff. So, in other words, what I'm saying is Jesus had a extremely tight bond and relationship with God the Father. Yes. And he had had one of those since birth, but it goes back before that because they've always been three in one. Jesus had never experienced being without God the Father. Yes, yes. Ever. God the Father had never experienced being without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit had never experienced being right. without Right, so this Jesus was a unique God. event in the history of all eternity. Where where God the Father had to turn away, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit had to turn away from Jesus, right? And He poured on His poured all His wrath out on Jesus on the cross. Yes, I think that's uh, that's exactly how I view the Scripture too. Um, I think more can be uh, understood if you go back and read Psalms twenty two, and yeah. I'm not not going to read that on on the show, but go back and do that. 
Psalms 22, verse 1 begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a quote. And, 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 and it's like the entire psalm reads like you're in Jesus's head as he's hanging on the cross. I mean, he talks about being pierced in his hands and feet. He talks about being mocked. He talks about being thirsty. He talks about all these things. They that, divide my garments. Yes. All of that is in Psalms 22. Mm-hmm. So that it's a prophetic messianic psalm. Right. And so, one, it fulfills prophecy, uh, but two, it gives you an insight in, into a little bit about of what Jesus is is lamenting here. And I think you're right. Uh, if we go back to Habakkuk, uh, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, it is a... Uh, <laughs> I've never heard it, Habakkuk. It okay. is one of the most popular uh, prophets of all time. No, I was... <laughs> Barely, we barely rarely read from this book, but but anyway, if if we look in the first chapter of Habakkuk, verse uh, chapter one, verse thirteen, he says, "You are of." He's talking about God. God, you are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Okay, so in this little thought that Habakkuk is is talking about, he says, your eyes are pure, God, so much so that you cannot look at the evil. You cannot look at, at wrong. Now, let's go back just for a second to our verse at hand and look at the verse prior to the one we read. There in verse 45 of Matthew 27, it says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. My God, my God, oh, my that's for right. second. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're getting ahead of me. Okay. I am. So you've got the darkness happening on the land. Yeah. And this is just a pure theory. My theory is this is God turning away from Jesus. This is Jesus becoming sin. He's becoming, he's he, he is on. taking on all of our sin. And God, according to Habakkuk, has purer eyes than to actually look upon it. So this is God turning away from Jesus from the very first time. So it goes back to what you were saying. This is where the separation occurs. And, and it was so powerful that the whole land turned dark over it. Right. And Jesus makes this painful lament, which, by the way, almost every time Jesus is addressing God, how does he address him? Father. father. Yeah. He does not address him as father in this passage. He says, "My God." My, my God. God. So all of a sudden, he's no longer. He's no longer. He is feeling the separation of the wow. relationship I've never heard that. completely, That's really good. and and he's he's feeling what you and I feel. This is how we can. This is how we know Jesus can relate to us, and we can. He's feeling what we feel when we're all alone. And we often have those struggles at times when we go, where's God when I'm dealing with all this pain? Right. We know that Jesus was there. He's been through that. Yeah. He was actually separated from his father mm-hmm. and didn't even feel like addressing him as, as a father in this instance, but instead as uh, Lord, as God, as God himself. Uh, so anyway. Wow. thought that was... Pretty, that, that's interesting. Poignant. All right, so the next one. Number five is very simple, and that is in John 19 again. So we're jumping back and forth here a little bit. So, oops, John 19, uh, verse 28 says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was 
was now finished said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anything profound or or interesting about um, this simple statement? For me, it shows his humanity. Okay. Uh, he's in shock, right? He's dealing with, with suffering, right? and he is, he's letting that be known. So, to fulfill Scripture. Um, that comes from Psalms uh, 69, and um, I believe is what, what the writer is referring to. Um, in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, uh, I look for pity, but there was none, and for comforter, comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And they gave him sour wine to drink. Vinegar. Right. So um, so it says that to fulfill prophecy, he said this. Now, if you read the rest of this psalm, this is another messianic psalm. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in this passage has already happened. Like everything in here... Um, he is, he says, you, you know my reproach and my shame and dishonor. Uh, reproaches have broken my heart. I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. Uh, I've looked for comforters. I found none. Uh, their own table before them had become a snare. I mean, all these things that he's talking about is things leading up to Jesus's uh, crucifixion and the things that are occurring during the crucifixion. Um and all of this stuff had already happened, except for this one thing about uh, giving them poison for food and sour wine to drink. And so this is a reference to that. So A1, he had to say it in order for everything to be complete. Sure. Once again. I can see a spiritual meaning in this, and I'm not sure if if I'm pushing it too far or not. But um, Well, we never push it too far on the show. That's right, ever. <laughs> so he says to the woman at the well, if you knew who, who it was you were talking to, I would give you water. You're, you're going you exactly where I was going. I can keep going. Thirst no more, right? Yes. And so what does he say at this moment? I thirst. He's yes. stating, yes. God the Father has turned away from me, and I'm actually spiritually thirsting as well. Yes. Like it's it's like it's it's irony, yeah. In that he's saying I thirst, yet he's told people I am living water. Yeah. Well, what's happening? He's dying. Yeah, he's drying up. Right. So, and he's been he's been uh, God has turned away from him. All these things have 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 happened. The things that that made him living water at that in the moments of what he spoke that have been removed from him. Right. And now he's he's parched. Uh, if we go back to Psalm 22, it talks about his tongue sticking to his root, the roof yeah. of his mouth. Uh, I mean, there's all this going on. And I think you're exactly right. It is a picture. It is a, um, it is a yin and yang type of thing. Yeah. Not to be, that's goofy coming from another religion. But, <laughs> but it... <laughs> But but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, it's it's this parallelism. Thank you. That's right. what I wanted. Okay, so <laughs> parallelism that's happening here. And he's talking about how I thirst. And then what happens three days later? He becomes the living, living water, water. Uh, in which the uh, another symbol of Christ was the rock in 
the wilderness. Oh, yeah, yeah. You okay. strike it, water comes out. Right. And so when you struck the, the rock, that's when the water came out of it. And so, um, not the second time. The second time hasn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Unless you're preterist, then it already happened. But whatever. Okay, going back to the first time the rock was struck, it... it Water, yielded water. It yielded water. So that's exactly what, what happens here. He's thirsty, but once he dies, once he's stricken, then the water begins to flow again. Right. Through his resurrection. Wow. So, yeah, that's cool. Okay, that's number five. Number six. So um, this is in Luke 23. It's like your life theme. Yeah, now Luke uh, 23 is, uh, this is one, the last two can be debated as to which one came first, because both of these happen at the point of Jesus' death. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Luke 23. I forgot. Yeah, I'm sorry. 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So... What is anything of value that we can get from this last decree? Well, he said, "Father," right? Yes. So he's back yes. to that. He's about to die. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. So, like, is he going to his father now? <laughs> <laughs> Not according to John twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's basically saying that at this point, I've done everything I can do. There's nothing else I can do. I'm putting it all in your hands at this point. Right. right? My very life, everything, the very uh, spirit that you've put in me of life is now no longer here. Right. It's, in your, it's, it's all in your hands. I'm putting it all in your control. And I think this is an interesting thing. He's quoting Psalm 30, 31, 5. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Is there any more um, context thou, around there? That thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. That's what it says. I, I haven't looked at that, hmm. actually. So I, I, I like this idea about committing your spirit into the hands of God. This is something we can actually commit to all the time. Yeah. Not just at the moment of our death, right? I mean, this is about relinquishing control. And, and putting it in, into God's hands. And um, I've actually heard uh, people who kind of end their prayers with this. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And I think that's a really cool way to end a prayer. <laughs> because it basically is saying, you're, I'm giving you complete control of this. I'm putting it in your hands. Right. And not, and not taking control of my own. Oh, you know, the very next... Yeah, this is a this is a Davidic psalm, mm-hmm. and a lot of it. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My heart grows weak in sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. My years <clears throat> by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bro- bones grow weak because of all the enemies. I am in utter contempt of my neighbors, the object of dread of, to my closest friends. Mm. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like a broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me to plot to take my life. 
It's amazing how many of David's psalms actually mirror Jesus's very feelings, especially at the end. And right. Psalms 22, Psalms 88, Psalm 69. I mean, they're just all these really cool. Um, so are we ready to move on to the last one? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I saved this one for last because this, to me, is a powerful one. This is your life. <laughs> there is a... Um, there is a saying, and I'll probably get it completely wrong, in Greek philosophy, and it goes something like, um, hang on a second, to, to be able to contain an ocean of thought in a drop of language is perfect, um, perfect philosophy or whatever. Yeah. That's, it's like, okay, so the concept is, being able to take something that is so huge, like there's so much meaning in it, and con, con, condensing it down it to one phrase, into one simple little saying, yeah, is uh, that's the wisest thing, like the goal of you could you could yeah. ever do, right? Sure. And Jesus nails it yeah. with this last thing in in uh, John 19, verse um, 30. It says, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. So at the moment of his death, he actually utters one word. He, and all of this philosophy of his life, everything, his mission, everything is summed up into this one word, and that is to telestai yeah. in, the, in the Greek which means, yes, it is finished, but it also means paid in full. My, I've completed everything right. that has been charged to me. When a man is in debt and he goes and he pays off that debt, they would stamp to telestai. Right. Meaning paid in full. Yep. Nothing more is owed. It's complete. It's done. It is finished. It is finished. And um, you can also look at the verb form, it and it gets crazy into because the Greeks have more verb forms than we do. Sure, uh, tenses, but it but it implies something that is is um, uh, you're the grammar teacher. Uh, it, it's a similar thing in English is past perfect. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. It means that it's something something that has past present. Uh, progressive something that has happened that will never happen yeah, again. Yeah, past perfect tense. And it's completely completed. He had jumped off the bridge. Is past perfect tense. Yes. So it had been completed in the past totally. Yes. Okay. So that's the closest thing to yeah. the, what this one verb form can convey in the Greek. Right. Um, it, it's just so. It's such a complex thing. It's such a complex thought in one little sentence or one little word. And Jesus expels the last of his breath to say this. And there's so many people that can read this just on the surface level and think, okay, he's just relieved. It's finally over. It's not what he's saying at all. It's so deep. It's so much deeper than that. So the better rendering, I guess, in English would be, it has been finished. Mm -hmm. It has been finished. It's been done. Or completed or paid in full. or It has been paid. Yeah. So it's like never going to happen again. This is a one-time event in the whole um, the whole history of, of eternity again, and in, and this is the event that changes everything. Right. 
So wow, that's a big deal. Yeah. So the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. So awesome. it is complete. Amen. To tell us And it is finished. Cool. All right. And now the news. You do have news, right? Oh yeah. I got news. All right, first up on the docket, 11 states sue the government, the United States government, over the Obama administration's transgender school bathroom directive. Stop it! 11 states have sued the government. Um, The rights of transgender students to use a bathroom of their choosing is now the subject of a lawsuit against the federal government. 11 states, Texas, Alabama, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Tennessee, Arizona, Georgia, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Utah, and Maine on behalf of Governor Paul LePage, all joined a lawsuit against the Obama administration's recent directive that says uh, schools must allow transgender students to use bathroom associated uh, with their gender identity, even if it differs from the previous represent, uh, representations or records. The federal government and the preventing are said preventing this type of access is a violation of established civil rights laws uh, under the... T- uh, Title IX law, which prevents discrimination based on gender. Hmm. So we're about to uh, have a big... It's all getting crazy up in here. ...war on our hands. Um, by the way, I think that was started by our governor, our Texas governor, started that Oh, lawsuit. really? Yep. So just so you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, let's see here. Oh, man, I lost that. What'd you lose? Is it the one that... Uh... Oh, no, no, I found it. Okay. okay. Scientists begin building human-animal hybrid embryos. It's coming. Have you heard about that? No. Okay. It's crazy. Scientists at the U- University of California, Davis, are building uh, chimeras <laughs> and conceivably blurring the land between animals and humans. The, uh, lion, the lion men of Moab. Animals and humans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chimeras are embryos that are partially human and partially animal and could be used for studies on how diseases develop and how to find cures for these diseases. Scientists believe having the hybrid embryos help them to create better animal models. Mr. Tumnus. Chimeras uh, come from Greek mythology and were monsters made up of different types of a lion, goat, and dragon. So, chimeras are happening, dude. <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, I want the first chimera to be a, a real jackalope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. An emoji Bible translation is now a reality. What? I'm not kidding How? you. I ha- okay. A new Bible emoji translator will be made available in Apple iBooks later this week, marketed as Scripture for Millennials. The new Bible adds emojis throughout individual verses, eliminating the need to actually read every word uh, of the word. So there's a great example. Uh, so there's a picture of a book, and then it says, of Genesis, one, one, all right? And there's a picture of a, a smiley face with a halo. I'm so we're not sure going to be able to, we're not going to be able to read this. And then there's a picture of a that. yeah. I'm, I'm just reading this. Hold on. Uh, so there's a picture of God, God, okay. and then the picture of a word bank said, "Let the." And then there's a picture of rain. Probably heavens. Bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life. <laughs> I kid you not. This is happening. That's way too much work for very yeah. little return. 
a major this is this is what the, the creators have said this a major goal of this whole process was to take a book that i think is very non-approachable to lay readers uh or sorry non-approachable to lay readers and try to make it more approachable by moving or removing sure. a lot of its density yeah <laughs> we already have that it's called the message <laughs> i just think it's so stupid okay anyways um South Carolina just banned almost all abortions after 20 weeks. Almost? Yep. The governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, signed a piece of legislation that outlaws abortions after 20 weeks. The new law is effective immediately. Like similar legislation elsewhere, the law includes exceptions in the case of a threat to the mother's life or if a doctor doesn't believe the baby can survive outside the womb. Essentially, the new ban only affects hospitals because, according to the AP, none of the three abortion clinics in South Carolina provide abortions beyond 15 weeks. Hmm. So that's a step forward, I guess. Yeah. Seeing as last week I reported that shocking number, 25% of all pregnancies yes, into abortion. Yes, weird. So 75%. Stop it! Yeah, just quit it. Oh, my gosh. All right, um, this one actually comes from one of our listeners, Michelle, who sent this in. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the um, the Little Sisters of the Poor, um, which is a Catholic uh, non-for-profit, um, basically, organization that, <clears throat> that provides um, needs for the poor. Uh, they had a Supreme Court ruling in their favor. Uh, they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Under the, the Affordable Care Act, um, um, birth control is one of the uh, uh, things provided under the oh, Affordable right, Care right, Act. Oh, right, right, right. So, Which goes against the uh, their, their... Their religious beliefs. Right. But not only that, the Plan B pill, which is actually provided under the Affordable Care Act, which is an abortion, abortive pill... So a lot of this birth control is abortive birth mm-hmm. control, and it goes against their personal beliefs. So they took it all the way. To well, Supreme birth control Court. does too, right? Not all forms. Okay. Some Michelle will have to, to to chime in on this. And yes, <laughs> I don't believe the all forms give us contraceptive the, the, or the the Catholic. abortive. No, 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 no. I mean, they go all forms of birth control go against the Catholic beliefs. Yeah, I don't know about that. I just know that all forms aren't abortive. Okay. So obviously, um, anyways, so they, they fought and they won. Uh, they got the ruling from the Supreme court that says that they do not have to follow that affordable care act. So it's kind of like a win for us. Yeah. Cause that's a big deal. If you're a, you know, a business owner and you don't believe that you should be providing healthcare for abortion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then this is a good thing for you. You can cite this case. So awesome. Good job. Little sisters of the poor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, and this time in church history. How long you want to write the TARDIS? Um, let's, just, let's just ride it. Let's just let it ride. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, May <laughs> uh, 26735. When? 735 A.D. Wow. Okay, so we're going almost as far back as we did last time. We are going almost as far back as we did last time. The father of modern English, really. Uh, Bade. You ever heard of Bade? He wrote, he was the first person to ever do 
uh, English Anglo-Saxon Saxon history. He's actually okay. So you read Beowulf, yes, and then you read Babe, okay. right? So he's right after Beowulf. If you ever do British lit, um, he was also one of the early church fathers. A great, awesome uh, Christian man. How did uh, I not know this guy? His last, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Cademan's hymn? It's one of the earliest yes. writings ever. Yeah. That Bade recorded that. Oh, He's okay. the guy that wrote that, basically. He recorded it. Yeah, he recorded it. It was a chant before he... Oh, okay. So he actually took a lot like, of this Christian stuff. Mm-hmm. There's like a Christian it, label? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No. So he took a lot of this Christian sayings and stuff, and he actually wrote them down. He was one of the very first okay. English writers. You know it's you, Bade. Oh, my Bade. I give up with you, man. That's <laughs> hilarious. So today he died. His last famous words were, glory be to the Father and to the Son. And then he died. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's like, this is great. He told his pupils he was teaching. He told his pupils, quickly, uh, pick up a pen and write this down, basically. <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> and then he divided his, he was a monk. He divided his few prized possessions, including a little pepper Yeah, among his fellow monks. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's pretty awesome. So, yep, today, the Venerable Bade. And he was Bade. Really, that's his title. Venerable, The huh? Venerable Babe. He was venerated. Everyone's venerated. What's yeah, the deal seriously. Right? He was Saint Saint Bade. Okay. Oh, that's all I got, dude. All righty. Theo Trivia. You ready? Do you remember where we are? No. I think I was ahead of you. Uh, yeah, actually, whatever. I wasn't. Uh, actually, I'm on New Testament. And I'm still on... Because you're still on the, the letters, numbers, of and course sequences. I am. Because you hate that one, remember? <laughs> this is way too easy. Ah, I quit that. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. Okay, whom did Jesus identify as the Elijah prophesied to come? I already did that one. That, oh. that, was, that was last week. That was then you're John not the on New Testament. Oh, was it? No. What? That was New Testament. Oh, okay. So you must, well, be, must on, be on... What oh, is W? That's words. That's where you have to like um, fill in the blank and that sort of stuff. And it's all King James language. Okay, so. here we go. Which version of the Lord's Prayer contains the line, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, Matthew's or Luke's? For thine is the kingdom and, and the, the power, power and, and the, the glory forever. Amen. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with... You're looking really weird, but I'm going to say Luke. It's neither. What? Ah, a, it's a trick, trick question. Yeah, it actually... We've, we've said that forever, but it's actually just a, a Christian saying. Really? He never ended that with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Wow. They we've inserted it. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? You learn something new every uh, time. That's right. All right, so you're still on Well, well, that's I don't know if that's true or not actually. No. You know what? What? That's not true. I I did a study so on, on this. The... What happened is Oh, you're still on the question. Yeah, they say neither, mm-hmm. but they're not right. Okay? It it's it was one of those is it in it or is it not? Some translations. Well, now the 
most of that debate has happened since new manuscripts were found. I say new in the early uh, in the late 1800s right. with the discovery of Sinaiticus um, and the Codex Vaticanus. Right. Those were the two that that differ a lot. And so most of that debate happens there. The the ancient trans, ancient English translations like King James, which I think is what they're using, all uh, had agreeing manuscripts. Right. That was all majority text stuff. Oh, they assume the Greek. Okay, so this is what this is what this is. When the reformers set out to translate the King James, they assumed that a Greek manuscript they possessed was ancient and therefore adopted the phrase for thine is the kingdom of the power and the glory forever. So it was in one manuscript? It was in a manuscript. Oh interesting. But it wasn't an ancient. Really? So but so it didn't make it didn't make it into right. the King James even. Or the, well, the Tyndale. Or, it did, but it's in parentheses. So that's that card is not true. <laughs> Anyways, go okay, ahead. Moving forward. Moving forward. I'll take the loss. Okay, so we, yes, already, we already did the Marys <laughs> at the cross. He bombed that one. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, okay, no, we did that one too. That was the Jericho, marching around Jericho. Yeah, eight times. Okay, you can get this one. All right. What is Alpha. That's the kitty version. <laughs> Not necessarily. It's the Greek letter for the beginning of the alphabet. Yes, first letter of the Greek alphabet. Yeah. Letters, numbers, and sequences. Okay, so uh, back, I'm still on, on the last one, on words. Okay. Complete the following instruction to Christians with three words. Okay. Be doers of the word and the three words, huh? Okay, so give me the 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 introduction so I know where to start. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Yes. James. Yes! Good. Okay, so now you're on New Testament. Uh-huh. Name two individuals who, while dying, asked God to forgive their killers <laughs> as recorded in the New Testament. <laughs> Boom, baby! <laughs> <laughs> if you miss this, you're off the show. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Jesus and Stephen. <laughs> yes. All right, let's get out of here, dude. Seriously. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows.
our uh, visit our website at theodotspodcast.com for shows, outlines, and notes. Also, please join us in praying for one another. You can anonymously confess sins and pray for each other at prayer.theonotpodcast.com. There are several ways to contact us and to leave us feedback. Send us email to theonots at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972 972- 885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Don't forget to leave us comments and rate us as that helps our show reach a larger audience. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right. Thank you for being here, Jeremiah. To tell us die, David. Amen. This has been Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTnetwork.com. When I say this to you, is your great commission transmission. You guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, "Hey, whoops!" I'm like, "Don't." Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord.